0: Hello, and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert podcast. I'm Jason Sronin, joined by my good friend and mobile home park expert, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you today?
1: I'm good. Fancy seeing you again.
0: I know. And today, um, we're going to talk about the pros of mobile home park investing. I've been, you know... A lot of people are just, they always find out you're involved with mobile home parks. And I go, yeah. yeah." Like one of my best friends is like one of the top dogs. And they'll be like, what do you know about mobile home park investing? Why is it so awesome? And I was like, man, I've learned a lot. And it seems to be a place where really smart people are putting their money. And so I thought, hey, it'd be really good to do a podcast about mobile home park investing, talk about the supply and the demand in mobile home park, MHP. And then another good thing is the rapid rent growth. So Glenn, like just off the top of your head, if you're talking to a guy, you just met him, tell me why I should, what is a pro of investing in MHP and why should I do it?
1: Sure. Eventually, you have mailbox money. If you stick around long enough and do your job right, this money really just replicates itself every month, and it just shows up. and Your, your management does all the headaches, and you know all that kind of stuff. So it becomes pretty painless, like, you know, just passive investing at its finest. When you get it to that level, the starting doesn't always come that way, especially if you're buying value at. But the the next, it, you know, there's a couple other really big reasons. You know, the tax advantages are, are phenomenal. For for mobile home parks, you know, as far as all the other assets goes, um, mo- the 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 amount that you are able to depreciate beyond just your scheduled depreciation, your your normal real estate twenty eight year twenty nine year depreciation line is phenomenal, uh, and oftentimes you can recoup fifty to seventy five or even hundred percent of your down payment, assuming you're using financing uh, to offset that in taxes and. We're going to have another show. We've had him on here before. His name is Jonah Weiss. He's the king of cost seg. And he explained some of it to us before, and he's going to come back on and do another show with us. But that's one of the biggest reasons why super uber rich guys get into this business and buy a park at a number that a lot of us can't make sense of. It's because of the tax advantages.
0: And And that gets into that 231 arm stuff, right?
1: I don't I, I, I'm not familiar with that term. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I'm
0: talking about what were we talking about in the last podcast? Sorry. The thing that the guys do to shield the tax money, the deals that you always do. Five thirty one. Oh, a ten thirty one. Ten thirty one. Thank yeah. you.
1: Yeah. And you, you absolutely works hand in hand in real estate. All real estate allows a ten thirty one exchange, um, but uh, not all real estate uh, allows this type of cost segregation that can happen, you know. So, like, I'm buying a small office building uh, near me. All right, it has some some benefits of the cost segregation. I will get some of my deposit back in year one, uh, but not as much as if it was a mobile home park. Um, but that's you know that's one, truly one of the better reasons. And nobody likes to talk about it when you're negotiating between buyer and seller and broker because. They, you know, they hope that you don't still know, you know, that that there's this extra money there that you're really kind of counting on that you probably would bid higher if squeezed more because of this benefit that's there. Um, and it's it's a phenomenal benefit. We don't know how long it sticks around, but it's around now. And you know, it's one of those things you should be utilizing and and definitely be talking to a guy who understands cost segregation that can get you the maximum amount out. Uh the you uh, know another really, really great reason on why this industry over maybe apartments, okay? Um, is our deficit from our lot rent compared to what a two-bedroom apartment rent is, is substantial. Okay. Typically 30 to 50 percent of what a two-bedroom apartment rent would be is what that lot rent's gonna be, and it's on the rise, okay. And most of us believe it's gonna park itself around 65% when it's said and done, maybe even a little bit higher. Okay. Uh so when an apartment rent is $1000 and you know right now lot rent is $300 immediately you should be thinking that that lot rent should be $400-$500 if you did xy and z okay and of course you know location and things like that all come into play and you don't want to jam rents down your your legacy tenants especially your retiree tenants and stuff like that so you want to keep them on a 3 or 5% increase but it means that your new tenants coming in You can start bringing in new tenants theoretically at, you know, $500 plus or minus, and you'll probably get that tenant, okay? You might be the highest rent in town, but you should be able to get a tenant like that because the apartment prices are just climbing, like rocket rocket ship climbing too, okay? But our pace of climb is faster. And that delta that I mentioned between the two-bedroom rents and lot rents, is you know still very wide, and you have there's enough room to, to believe that it's gonna continue to, to make up stronger margins. So that's that's a huge reason, especially as capitalists investing looking for you know a better return on their money year over year over year, that rent growth, organic rent growth from your non-legacy tenants, you know, you're gonna be able to achieve. Because even the most stable lot rent parks out there have turnover, okay? You know, lot renters stick around 15, 16, 17 years, I think, is the average number. Uh, you know, and so eventually that's going to start turning. And, of course, there's always home sales that happen, you know, with lot renters as well. And you can get the new guy on a better on a better number, assuming you're not in a state that has certain rent controls and certain vacancy controls. Uh, but, you know, and you know, down here in the south, it's kind of the Wild West with, you know, what you can get away with. Uh, not that you should. And I want you to be very cognizant of that. But that's one of the the, the big reasons: phenomenal rent growth, coupled with you know massive tax advantages, and now better lending than ever. You know, like we used to have ridiculous interest rates and, and two lenders or three lenders that would you know loan on a park. Now you know agencies are open to us, CNBS is fully open to us, and local banks are more open to us than ever before. And in fact, we just got a debt quote on a park, that's a community bank park, wouldn't qualify for agency financing, but we were able to get a debt quote at 4%, okay? Um, you know, for, for a seven-year term, which is pretty nice for, for this kind of park, okay? It's not like 3% yet for something like that. Uh, whereas if it was an agency deal, it'd be closer into that 3% range, um, you know? So that's, that's pretty nice. Our down payments tend to be a little bit heavier, but that's a blessing in disguise, you know, because when things do turn, you're not as highly leveraged as you are in the apartment worlds and some of the other worlds, because, uh, you know, you can get an apartment deal at 20, 25 percent, maybe even 15 percent under some circumstances. Um, you know, and same with some of the other you know retail stuff. Uh, but ours typically is going to be best case scenario, 25 percent. Uh, sometimes a, a local bank might do it a little less, but typically you're looking at 25 or 35% down and you might have to come out of pocket to pay for the homes. So it's got a kind of higher barrier of entry from an investment standpoint than some of these other ones, which you know further keeps this really a, you know, a, 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 a pretty interesting market to participate in. Um, so those, those are the ones that come right off, uh, off the top of my head. There's probably a bazillion other really good well, reasons. To pay. you're you're- Supplying housing for the poorest people in the United States, that's that's like phenomenal that you're doing that, you know, that, that somebody's doing that. That's just, you know, I mean, I, I understand it's not something that puts money in your pocket necessarily, but it's good to know you're, you know, someone's providing clean, affordable housing for poor people in this country, because boy, it ain't getting any cheaper to live in this country. Uh, so that's critically important. And, you know, homelessness and, and, and housing and all that stuff in this country is so out of whack right now. That it's, you know, we're such an important asset group for that bottom layer. And more and more people are seeing us as a real alternative now, which is, I think, going to open up more mainstream stuff over the next few years, which would be another really good reason. You know, there's plenty of parks that you would let your grandma live in. You just didn't know they existed you know, like I just sold a park the other day for, you know, 18 and a half million dollars or so, uh, where it was all 55 plus, it was the most beautiful park that, that, you know, that area had around, and you would, you would be happy to let your grandma live there, and the housing cost at that park was $150,000 for the average home, but in a neighborhood where the average, you know, you know, home, you know, stick-built home is four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, you know, so it's a, you're you, you're going to see more of that kind of get pushed down, I think, over the next few years as housing continues to skyrocket. And, you know, these houses, these these manufactured homes that are built today are built amazingly well. They're not like the the crap from the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know. So I think there's some, some real longevity in that. And I think that's going to become more mainstream. <clears throat> uh, when you look out in the future, you can kind of say, well, geez, that's interesting because, you know, there'll be always be demand. You always need a place to live and this is a great place to live if you get into the right communities. Um, So, I mean, all those things together is, you know, part of the great reasons why.
0: Yeah. And absolutely. And I think there's, there was something that has been in the space for a while that has only been amplified by the pandemic and that's the general supply and the demand of the actual manufactured homes, because, you know, they're around, 40,000 to 50,000 parks in the United States with 7.5 million people living in the MHPs. And I mean, that's that, I mean, that's a lot of parks to fill and mobile yeah, homes on the horses. average 50 to 60,000. Right. Is yeah, that yeah. about right? Mobile home park, mobile homes, are yeah. average around 50 to 60 for new.
1: Yeah, for sm- for most of the base models 40 or 50,000, you can get some beautiful manufactured homes in that 100 110,000 that you couldn't even tell it was a manufactured home. It has garages and pitched roofs and all these beautiful features and stuff. So, very 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 affordable.
0: And you you, know? you were telling me what was it about um the number of homes that are actually being manufactured oh, a and that neck. there's a yeah. huge bottleneck. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so they only produce, you know, the last few years in a row, we've only produced about 100, 110,000 homes. OK. And the demand, I mean, like right now, the demand is so strong, you're waiting at least a year on average to buy a home from a manufacturer. Now, some of the retailers have homes, you know, there to go pick up and you're going to pay substantially more for, them, you know, but the typical park owner who's trying to fill his park, you know, and he's ordering 10 or 20 homes, you know, he's going to wait nine to 12 months right now. Um, which is a little better than it was a few months ago because a few months ago it was 12 the 15 months we were here uh, but still it's a very long wait list and they're only making 100,000 plus or minus of these a year uh in our in, in the manufacturing heyday they used to make 300,000 uh, or so I think that was the peak year was 300,000 and it's declined since then and then you know the, the big recession put a lot of these manufacturers out and you know that just time has put a lot of these guys out so now there's only a handful of, you know, national manufacturers, and they can only produce so much. Now, that's going to open up because everybody sees the writing on the wall that, you know, the market can handle two, three times the manufacturing supply that we are currently doing right now. So somebody's going to fix that. And I have a feeling that's something that's in a couple of years from now, we're not going to be having that discussion. And it probably still won't complete the supply for the demand that's out there. Um, but soon, these 40 or 50,000 parks, they're going to be full. Okay, And they're still not letting us build more parks. Now we have approvals here, we get approvals there, but as a whole, there's a net loss of parks every year as compared to the amount of parks that come online. And to bring a park online is not an easy process and it takes years of of dealing with it to get it fully online. So I think there's gonna be retained demand for any vacancy in any park uh, for the next foreseeable future And coupled with, you know, just getting your homes in there, you know, I, I, I don't see how this could be, you know, just a bubble we're in with, you know, with our industry. Even though it's gotten extremely more competitive and aggressively priced than it was five years ago, it does not seem like a bubble because of all these other factors that are playing into it. It seems like organic growth is what it seems. People are getting wise to it finally.
0: Yeah, and and when you're looking at mobile home park investing, it also seems like it's gotten more sophisticated, and that oh, there's yeah. a lot more eyes on it. And what do you with that sophistication, with more eyes on it, is that changing like the top line value of these parks because there's more interest?
1: It is. It, it definitely is. It's it's nearly impossible for uh, a new investor to compete uh, without over overstretching himself. On, you know, like a hundred unit park in a primary MSA. You know, there's the math when you look at it from a 20 or 30 year old as compared to a typical investor's, you know, three, five, seven year old. Okay. You just can't compete against that. And the institutions that are coming in are absolutely using a very long term hold period and a very low exit cap rate exit. You know, so you're going to have a hard time. As a new guy competing for the more institutional quality stuff unless if you're really willing to pay the piper and understand you know what what you know what the industry is about uh most guys that are coming in are trying to buy the first park and maybe they're doing it with them and a buddy and maybe it's 20 units or 50 units or something and that's still very accessible for the new investor coming in, uh, but there's been a big push with the with the groups that are all consolidating right now. You know where they're buying parks as bolt-ons. You know as small down as you know 50 units and, and even less. We just sold a, a portfolio in Raleigh, North Carolina that was maybe 125 30 spaces. Portfolio sounds funny when you say it that way, but it was five parks, all like 30 space parks or something. You know, scattered about. You know, uh, an MSA. Um, and a consolidated bought those things and that that was not cheap that was seven and a half million dollars or so that was about a five cap on entry uh and it was a very very stabilized park owned home you know community um and so you are going to be competing with your local regional players that have more sophistication than you as a as a newbie but there's little room to get in there and at the end of the day when you have the financing when you have the tax when you have you know all these other things lined up for you, the, the cost segregation I can't stress enough, uh, and the financing being more accessible than ever, and now even national management groups, you know, being more popular than they, you know, have been before. There's a few more of them than there used to be. Uh, you could really see why, you know, a an investor that is worried about more tax or is more worried about, you know, wealth preservation more than necessarily wealth growth is is looking at us and willing to pay more for that privilege. So I mean it's happening it's going to get more and more institutionalized 5 years ago I couldn't I couldn't get you to pay a dollar for any of the upside nowadays you know we're squeezing you tight on the upside so it's it's you know it's definitely a maturing vertical
0: Um so we, we with the the onset of like covid and everything like that has that changed how people are investing did it amplify it did things get crazier or is it has it kind of stayed the same and just keep evolving on the upward
1: well we were on the hottest streak we have ever seen for manufactured housing industry going up into covid i mean wildfire we we couldn't imagine it being a better market okay covid happened and everybody got a little scared for a day and then it was full throttle wildfire times 10 up to where we are now you know it took about a month or two of people to adjust and then all of a sudden, the deal started closing again. And when people saw our collections being north of 90% during COVID and seeing apartment collections being only at 75% or so, you know, there was a big move of money coming over. And we continue to prove the resiliency of this industry through the most difficult times, the, the pandemic times, the recessionary times. And now we're looking at inflation. And we're seeing people say, ah, cash flowing real estate, Massive cost segregation advantages. I'm I'm jumping into here and I'm buying I'm buying something for this because this is padded and I get a better tax break and I don't have to, you know, you know, I, I, I go through a learning curve, but it's not a huge learning curve for, you know, once you jump in and start swimming. And I think that's what's really appealing right now. It used to be much harder. The learning curve used to be much steeper. But so much sophistication has come into the industry and so many learning resources have come into the industry over the last few years that I think it's making the outsider more comfortable to come inside to this industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've I've felt like very welcomed. Everybody's been super cool, you know, in terms of helping with information and, you know, Seco and just all the different things through even keeping the virtual events going through COVID. I know. thought that that was really awesome, so it's it's a very tight
1: community for the most part. I mean, yeah, there's there's always going to be some some bad apples, you know, but for the most part the 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 majority of us in this industry are here to help other people, you know get a, a better understanding of the industry so we can you know get everybody's boats up higher in the water, you know yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a me versus you a lot of times, although in brokerage it can be very much me versus you against a broker. And as a buyer, it can't very much feel me versus you as a buyer on a deal, but overall, a lot of us share our secrets with each other once the deals are done, and once we we, we add some conferences and some talks, you know most of us you know are willing to share what we've been through and what we've done and how we've conquered certain you know uh, hurdles and things like that to get you know to 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 get to where we are. And that's replicated. It's, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, there's new guys that now have, you know, a couple thousand lots and they're just so happy to tell any other new guy how to do it. There's the old guys have been doing it forever. And they're like, you know, this is how we used to do it. And this is what we're doing. And it's just very friendly and easy. It's not like most of your capital markets that, you know, everybody's cutthroat and just, you know, doing that, you know, kind of stuff and preserving their own, their own little Mm -hmm. circle.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The pros of mobile home park investing, the people, the opportunities that there's mobile home parks everywhere. So if you have a place you want to go or spend time in, I mean, that's been one of the cool things about looking through different parks with you. And, you know, we've looked at a couple RV parks and that stuff's really interesting to me. So I think that there's a lot more to do in mobile home park investing. And I think people can learn a lot by reading the mobile home park manifesto. Glenn's book, going to Glenn's website, reading all the articles, watching the videos, getting Glenn's class, um, and just kind of opening your mind to the possibilities. And if you'd like to learn more, you can go to themhpexpert.com. And you can always get a hold of Glenn at Gesterson at the And you could call Glenn and his team at 720 MHP, the number four U. That's 720 M H P for you. And uh Glenn, and thank it's you
1: so Y O U, in case if you guys are just, oh, yes.
0: just a little like clarity. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Y O U. Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate the insights. And thank you all for listening. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, make sure to hit us up at uh, G Esterson at the MHPExpert.com. We will see you next time. Thanks.